I lived out back of my mother and father's place most of my life in a little old shed that my daddy had built for me. They didn't too much want me up there in the house with the rest of them. So mostly I just sat around out there in the shed looking at the ground. I didn't have no floor out there. But I had me a hole dug out to lay down in. A quilt or two to put down there. My father was a hard-working man most of his life. Not that I can say the same for myself. I mostly just sat around out there in the shed, tinkered around with a lawnmower or two. Went to school off and on from time to time. But the children out there, they were very cruel to me and made quite a bit of sport of me, made fun of me quite a bit. So mostly, I just sat around out there in the shed. My daddy worked down there at the sawmill, down at the planer mill, for an old man named Dixon. But old man Dixon was a very cruel feller. Didn't treat his employees very well, didn't pay them too much of a wage, didn't pay my daddy too much of a wage. Just barely enough to get by on, I reckon. But I reckon he got by all right. They used to come out, one or the other of them, Usually my mother feed me pretty regular. Mm -hmm. So I know he made enough to where I could have mustard and biscuits three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. Well, old man Dixon, he had a boy. Mm. Name was Jesse Dixon. Jesse was really more cruel than his daddy was. He used to make quite a bit of sport of me. When I was down there at the schoolhouse. Used to take advantage of the little girls there in the neighborhood and all. They used to say that my mother was a very pretty woman. They said that quite a bit from time to time when I'd be down there at the schoolhouse. Well, I reckon you want me to get on with it and tell you what happened, so I reckon I'll tell you. I was sitting out there in the shed one evening, not doing too much of nothing, just kind of staring at the wall and waiting on my mother to come out and give me my Bible lesson, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear the commotion up there in the house, and so I run up on the screen den porch to see what is going on. I looked in the window there, and I seen my mother laying on the floor there, and clothes on, hmm. I seen Jesse Dixon laying on top of her. He was having his way with her. Well, I just seen red. I picked up a Kaiser blade that was sitting there by the screen door. Some folks called it a sling blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. Just kind of a long wood handle, kind of like an axe handle. With a long blade on it, shaped kind of like a banana. Mm-hmm. Sharp on one edge and dull on the other. Mm-hmm. It's what the highway boys used to cut down weeds and whatnot. You know. Well, I went in there in the house, 
Gonna hit Jesse Dixon upside the head with it. Knocked him off my mother. I reckon that doesn't quite satisfy me. So I hit him again with it in the neck with a sharp edge and just plumb near cut his head off. Killed him. My mother, she jumped up in there and started hollering, what'd you kill Jesse for? What'd you kill Jesse for? Well, come to find out, I don't reckon my mother minded what Jesse was doing to her. I reckon that made me madder than what Jesse'd made me. So I taken the Kaiser blade. Some folks called it a slang blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. And I hit my mother upside the head with it. Killed her. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 318, Sling Blade. And this is listener request number 40, courtesy of Mike. We did the old watch it before we record move, which it's been a while. Yeah, well, we'll get more into that in a minute, but didn't have much choice. No. Nothing we could do about it, really. I feel like I'm finding this to be the case a little bit more often. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should have a whole segment of the show dedicated to our love of physical media. Mm, there's an idea. So thanks to Mike for the big listen request. Before we talk about Slingblade, I figured we might as well do a whole listener request update to make sure everyone's on the same page. Please. I need to get caught up, so I've been waiting for this. May. Still to come. Other than Mike, we got Ron and Johnny. June, we are not doing any listener requests. We are eagerly yeah. anticipating the return of One Trashy Summer. Take that, listeners. July, we have a full slate of listener requests. Shelly, Brian, and Kevin coming up in July. August, so far, we have Luke and Thomas. I believe we could probably get one more listener request into August, possibly. None of these things are guaranteed, just so you know, but that would be the goal. However, I think we're only going to do one slot in September. We're trying to take it easy because we're heading into a big Greatest October that I'm already planning for and already working on because it's going to be so much work. So one in September, two in November, two in December, maybe. Something like that. Of course, if you get a listener request in before the end of the year, that's fine. You're still going to get the same price, and we'll get to it eventually. End of the year. It's I'm, May. Well, I'm just saying, Yeah. those are the slots that are left. One in August. Right. One in September. That's two. Two in November, two in December. We're up to six. There's basically wow. six slots left. So for the people that are taking their negotiation right up to the goal line and debating whether or not they should push it over, you're running out of time. 
Right. Yeah. Of course, I completely understand not wanting to do it oh, and not yeah. wanting to give us the money. But if you're waiting and you think it's just going to fall into your lap, somebody can move right in. I've been telling people, oh, we might have July and then like, oh, two more people do one and then we run out of those slots. It doesn't last forever. That's what we've got so far for the rest of the year. But just so you know, not a ton of slots left for listener requests. Other than that, please follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you find us. Never miss an episode. Please tell your friends and family about the show. We are 100% DIY, word of mouth. That's all. That's all we have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I include a little note about that and all the sticker requests I send out. (laughs) That we desperately need you to keep spreading the word. If you'd like a free sticker or you'd like to negotiate a listener request, which does cost some money, then you can reach us on Twitter at GreatestPod or email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. We sent out the word that we'd like to receive some more emails. We've gotten a ton of them in, so we should be good, but please continue to send them. Yeah, yeah. Because we are not stopping the show at any point, so even if we have three or four in the chamber, there's always going to be the need for more. Well, we don't want to go on a dry spell. Yeah, please keep sending them, greatestpod at gmail.com. Finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby on there. Anything else, reach out. Questions, comments, concerns, we're willing to do whatever. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, the OnlyFans will be opening up soon. (laughs) We're getting desperate. Anyway... Let's talk about Sling Blade, or as James Franco might say, Slang Blade. Wow. Yeah. That's if this was Spring Breakers. That's good, yeah, I like it. <laughs> I kept thinking that the whole week okay. while working on this, like, <laughs> Slang Blade. Yeah. I can remember watching this the first time, and Billy Bob Thornton, like, unrecognizable to me, because I think at that time in life, I kind of just pictured him as the dude from Armageddon. <laughs> the dude drinking Angelina Jolie's blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and how cool I thought he was. Sling Blade um, was written and directed by Billy Bob Thornton based on his 1994 short film. Some folks call it a Sling Blade, directed by George Hickenlooper and starring Thornton, Molly Ringwald, and J.T. Walsh. J.T. Walsh and Thornton both appear in this film. Molly Ringwald does not. Although it kind of makes sense because she was playing the reporter and the reporter's really only in this for about 30 seconds. Right. Previously, the material was adapted from Thornton's one-man show called Swine Before Pearls. So this was stuff that he had been working on for years before it finally made it to the yeah. big screen. I was thinking it, it feels like this would have to be a method actor approach to be in this role. I actually don't know that he was being a method actor. I think he was coming out of it to direct the film. I don't think he was yeah. staying in character and directing the film like that. Yeah, I, I know, but it's so good. It's not just the dialogue. It's this whole performance where it's a very physical performance, the way he carries himself. He's got this underbite going the whole time. Yeah. There's a lot of things that that went on, and some of it is folklore, legend. I don't know what all is true or not That would be hilarious if he was staying in character when trying to (laughs) direct. I didn't find anything directly in the notes about it, but I'm pretty sure mm. that he did come out of the character. I would think he has to, yeah. I mean, it seems silly to think that he wasn't but some people do some people don't but yeah if he's actually the writer director it seems like he's gonna have to 
giving notes to like Brent Briscoe. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he still does the. Mm. It's <laughs> a whole bit. Yep. So as we were alluding to, this would be the part of the show right now where we would say, "Oh, Sling Blade is streaming on HBO Max or oh. Netflix or Hulu. Check it out there if you haven't seen it or want to rewatch it." Well, when we took this listener request, I had no idea that. Slingblade is now one of those movies that is not streaming anywhere. Just completely unavailable, not even for rent. Not even for rent on Amazon or Vudu or any of those places. So it is non-existent, essentially, unless you own a Blu-ray or DVD right now or catch it on TV because it just yeah. doesn't exist right now Although in I do streaming, think... which is weird because I watched it on streaming a couple years ago. I so definitely it did seen, exist. Yeah, I've seen it sitting up there, I, I want to say on Netflix, but... I think the first time I ever saw this was on TV, which I is weird. I watched it on Hulu probably three years ago or something like that. I can definitely remember that. I, I'm thinking that at the time there was some language that they were more willing to let go on cable than they would now. So it ended up being the perfect motivation for me to take the plunge with a new segment of the show that I've been toying with in my mind, which is going to be a spotlight on physical media. It should only be a quick segment at the very end where I talk about some of my many purchases and pre-orders yeah. and some of the stuff I'm excited about. I got to get my notes ready for it. So We're not doing it right this second. Yeah. It's at the end. I know. I got it. <laughs> I was wondering, like, should I do this? Do we have too many segments? Is this going to fall flat? Well, it probably will fall flat. But Like everything else we do. <laughs> when I noticed that Sling Blade was not streaming anywhere and Matt doesn't own it on DVD or Blu-ray and was going to have to come over and watch it, right before we started recording, I was thinking, well, this is the perfect segue into another segment where I want to emphasize the importance of owning physical media. I know. Because this does not seem like a movie that should just not be available, even if it's only temporary, even if it's only like a few months. That's nuts that it's just not available. And you're probably thinking like, well, how is that any different from 30 years ago? It's like, well, you could always just go to Blockbuster and get it then. Right. There wasn't a movie this big, this mainstream at least, that would completely vanish and shocked. just be gone. Yeah. And that's how the world is now because we're so dependent on streaming. This isn't exactly Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bullorama. A movie that would always be available. Yeah. <laughs> this movie had some buzz and it's just not there anywhere on any streaming service. Not right now. The budget was $1.2 million, box office $34.1 million. It was a sleeper hit propelling Billy Bob Thornton into stardom, became a mainstream household name, went on to be in Armageddon a couple years yeah, later, yeah. went on to be in a ton of shit, date Angelina Jolie, right. Monsters Ball, whole thing. The film was nominated for two Academy Awards, winning Best Adapted Screenplay for Billy Bob Thornton, he was also nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role, which he lost to Jeffrey Rush from Shine. A boo. Yeah. This year in general, the 1997 Academy Awards for the year of 1996, this was a definite bullshit Oscars are terrible type oh, year. Well, this is a fresh take from us. The English Patient won Best Picture Oof. over Fargo. Yikes. This was also the year of Jerry Maguire. But it does get tiresome to bitch about the Oscars. I don't know. Does it? 
We never seem to run out of energy for it. But I just really fixated on the Billy Bob Thornton yeah, yeah. not winning the acting Oscar. I know. Because it really is like a transformation. It's a crazy No offense to Jeffrey Rush or Shine, which I've never seen. But <laughs> yeah, same. it just seems like you want to hit on these cultural touchstone moments. That's the whole point of these award shows is to serve as a footnote, a reminder. Here's what happened in this time period. This is history here. And yet, more often than not, it seems like they miss this stuff, and it has to endure on their own anyway. It really is crazy. More people are going to remember the Billy Bob Thornton performance all these years later. And it just would be nice if sometimes that coincided with the awards. somebody brought up Shine, I would be like, the Collective Soul song? (laughs) This was actually only the second film ever to win Best Adapted Screenplay and not be nominated for Best Picture. Could it have squeezed in there in the Best Picture world? Of course, but I disagree with even the English patient being nominated, let alone winning, so what am I going to say? Of course. Billy Wilder once told Billy Bob Thornton that he was, quote, too ugly to be an actor. How about that? He should write a screenplay for himself where he could exploit his less-than-perfect features. After this movie launched Thornton's career, he publicly discussed his conversation with Wilder which was at a cocktail party where he was working as a waiter. He got a call from Wilder, who invited him over to his house. Wilder said he didn't recall the conversation, but was glad that he heeded his advice as a gift. Wilder gave Thornton a paperback copy of this movie's script with his autograph and a personal message inscribed on it. Thornton invented Carl's unique facial expressions and speech patterns, plus ad-libbed the entire Sling Blade speech from the beginning of the film while looking at himself in a makeup room mirror waiting to film his scene as a train conductor in The Man Who Broke 1,000 Chains, a film from 1987. Huh. His scene was later cut from that film. (laughs) (laughs) But the seed was there for something more. He realized he had stumbled onto something. Carl's monologue grew into a one-man show with the intention of raising funds for a film. Thornton wrote the script in longhand, which I definitely like because I like to write things in longhand, at his family's home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. The full-length film was financed by the shooting gallery and then sold to Miramax for $10 million, which at the time was a record price for an independent film. Yeah, I was thinking that's a lot. Harvey Weinstein, who was then co-chairman of Miramax, only saw the first 30 minutes of this movie when he agreed to pay $10 million for the rights to the film. He later regretted this, though, and forced Billy Bob Thornton to cut about 20 minutes from the movie. This was during that era when he was known as Harvey Scissorhands and oh, really yeah. cut up a lot Although of films. Although I think you totally get it because it still feels like the runtime is a bit heavy. Yeah, there's some stuff in it now that probably could still be trimmed. Yeah. I would have a hard time picturing 20 more minutes on right. this movie. It almost feels like some of the heavier scenes lose their punch when it drags on too long. I never got that from this movie, but... I no, can't... I'm saying if there was another 20 minutes of oh, well, him yeah. wandering around town. <laughs> Depends what the, those carrying, 20 minutes are. Carrying his books around. <laughs> Carl Childers, played by Billy Bob Thornton, is a developmentally disabled Arkansas man whose parents physically and mentally abused him when he was young. He has been in the custody of the state mental hospital since the age of 12 after murdering his mother and her teenage lover, who was also his tormentor, with a sling blade. 
Carl believed his mother was being raped and killed the other boy in defense of her when he realized that his mother was a willing participant in the affair. Carl killed her as well. A sling blade, or as he calls it, a Kaiser blade, is a heavy hooked steel blade at the end of a long handle that is usually made of wood. The blade is double-edged and both sides are usually kept sharp. It is used to cut brush, briar, and undergrowth. Seems like it's in the same family as a machete. Kind of. It's more of like a scythe. Yeah. But it's fallen out of fashion now because of electric tools and chainsaws and different things like that. They're not as common now. Sure. It's more of like an old school type thing. This town might be a little behind the times, even of the time it takes place. Oh, for sure. Yeah. By his description, Carl's sling blade matches a bush axe or a ditch bank axe, a kind of long-handled machete, as you said, with a short broad blade, and easily lethal. Though the term is also used for sickles and weed cutters, Kaiser blade has murkier roots, but is likely slang for similar tools favored by remnant communities of Pennsylvania Dutch, who are actually mostly German in origin, thus the word Kaiser. It's a lot to process. It's a heavy, heavy fucking story that we hear early on where you're like, holy fuck. I think it can be a bit jarring because it takes a good portion of the movie for you to get the full picture of what Carl's parents actually did to him. Or then you can start to think, well, this fucking bitch deserved it. (laughs) Because right off the bat, you're like, holy shit, this guy killed his mother. Like, this is fucked up. Oh, I know. And then by the time you see what his living conditions were like, and then you actually piece together everything he said throughout the movie, and you get a more of a picture of what his life was, then you're kind of like, all right, yeah, we're on Carl's side, I, I guess. We get it. <laughs> well, it's weird because it starts off so dark with him telling the story. It's the way they even set the mood for it. He's in the dark telling the story. Yeah, next to a a very yellowish but kind of dim light bulb yeah. and a lamp. The reporter is completely tiny, very feminine, small. He's like this kind of gruff-looking doing his whole thing with the grunting and the noises. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, he tells this story, but then it has like that doom, doom, doom. Right, right. It's almost it's like, like John intense. Carpenter. Yeah. But then you kind of go on this very almost light, humorous journey for a while before it gets back to the emotional heaviness of his past. Oh, yeah. There's definitely humor in the film, but I think what's haunting about it is that it feels very American. Yeah, yeah. And you're thinking, man, it's just a reminder of what's actually going on out there in the world, behind people's front doors, the stuff you don't know about, the secrets people have, their family secrets, the darkness. Right. Not everyone is as pristine and clean as it seems on the surface. There's a lot of fucked up shit out there. People out there right now have no idea... Two losers sitting in this apartment recording a podcast. You mean the people if, driving by right If now. they only knew the horror show that was actually this happening. apartment building right down. <laughs> Nerds! <laughs> Carl was named after Billy Bob Thornton's special needs cousin who died a month before Billy Bob wrote the movie. Oh. This was a little bit about the physicality that you were mentioning yeah, yeah. earlier. So the story is that Billy Bob Thornton put crushed glass in his shoes Oof. so that he would walk a certain way. Tenderly. I don't know if this is true or not. I Googled it. 
there's people asking whether or not it's true out there. I've seen see. that. People are saying, where did this come from? Does he ever actually confirm this? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's ever really confirmed by anybody, but it's a story that's out there. I don't know if it really matters because it's still a fully committed performance. Oh, yeah. It's a performance unlike most of what you would see now. And I do think that these really hardcore, dedicated performances are now rarer and rarer, believe it or not. Even though you would think that this would be straight Oscar bait and everyone would be trying to do this kind of shit. I think people feel safer when it's a historical figure that they can just basically imitate rather than try to create something from scratch. Now, Elephant in the Room, I don't think that people without developmental or mental disabilities would be allowed to play Carl now. I don't think so either. Especially with some of the terminology they're throwing around for him. Which is a shame because I think that part of acting is changing yourself. And I, I know that you get into this ground and... You're not supposed to wear fat suits and yeah, yeah. cisgendered people shouldn't be trans people in the movies or whatever people want to get upset about. But man, if the, but I think part and, of it is it's just done so well, it's it doesn't at all feel like a caricature or anything. I mean, it just feels like a great performance. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think what I was going to say was I think what you're you're left with is you're just going to deny yourself the opportunity to have these kinds yeah. of performances, which is a shame. Now I know you can point to things like Simple Jack or something from Tropic Thunder. Which I is that making fun of this kind of I think that was more making fun of I am Sam, but Okay. But yeah, it's the same yeah, yeah, thing yeah. though. The w- actors the what they would do and that was more goofing on what it would take to win an Oscar. Right. More than actually doing it versus not doing it or whatever. It wasn't quite as damning as the Sure. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> right. blackface thing, but I get it both ways. I get that in the wrong hands, this stuff, even if it's not yeah, like, like if intentionally it was a, making a joke, if they're not talented enough, you're kind of like, right. this has become a joke. I sort even of if you feel didn't like, mean it that way. I think in today's climate, they wouldn't touch this at all. No, of but, course not. But I do kind of feel like it would be one of those things that when you first hear it, you'd be like, no chance in hell. But then if you saw like a screen test of this, I feel like you'd be like, okay, this is not at all. Yeah, but I think you would. I know they wouldn't. Touch they'd it, still though, be saying like, yeah. "We can't do this." Right? Though. Yeah, I agree. I get it both ways. I just think that it just sucks when there's like limitations on art, and I think the end result actually should be if it is terrible and it does suck and it mm-hmm. is a joke, then they should have to pay the price. But if it's quality, then there shouldn't be a blanket thing of like, "Well, this is offensive," because I don't really feel like his portrayal is offensive. I don't either. And I think the message of the film is pretty straightforward, and it's just where we're at now. But also part of it is that they don't make a lot of adult movies like this that well, are just for adults. Yeah. They are a self-contained Americana-type story. It's a beginning, that middle, is and true. end, and yeah. then that's it. There's just not a lot of stuff like this. Right. I feel like, yeah, any pitch for this right now, it would be like that guy in Inside Lewin Davis where he's just like, not seeing a lot of money in this. Yeah, the fact that this even made thirty four point one million, which is not like I cannot insane, believe but... that the script they paid ten million for it. Yeah, that's a shocking number. Well, this was the absolute peak. Yeah, yeah. You're talking post Pulp Fiction. Right. Everyone's looking for indie stuff. I would say anywhere from like ninety two or three up through like ninety eight or ninety nine is like the absolute pinnacle of indie yeah, yeah. cinema as far as money, money being pumped into it. For those of you who haven't seen Sling Blade, we're in a rural setting. We're 
in a part of the world not on screen all the time. Small town, very small town, very rural, rusted out bridges. Yeah, I don't know. A, a melancholy to this universe. Just yeah. How, to how basic everything is. It seems like a town forgotten. Forgotten by time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slingblade moves at a leisurely pace. It's got that 70s filmmaking style to it where yeah. we're not in a big hurry. It's not 100% plot based for sure. They linger. Right. They move slow. By the way, I don't want to 100% shit on this either because in this whole age of information, things moving at lightning speed all the time, this type of setting, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to move to one of these I'm towns. ready to move to the Dude, mental hospital he's in in the beginning. Here's the thing. <laughs> I could not get a job at Bill's fucking garage. No I could. Kidding. Do you know how many fucking lawnmowers I could fix? Zero. Zero lawnmowers. Carl can fix lawnmowers like it ain't no thing. He's the Eli Whitney of fixing yeah. whatever that guy said. <laughs> the rhythm and the feel of this movie, too, reminds me a little bit of Flannery O'Connor or oh, yeah. Raymond Carver or some of those short stories where it's very simplistic and straightforward, and then you're kind of hit with that right. emotional sucker punch or there's some twist or that southern gothic vibe or something. And this one... Look, you don't have to be a fucking genius to figure out where this movie's going at a certain point. It seems kind of obvious, but... Everybody's talking about it. It's so deserved and so anticipated that by the time it happens, you're like, yes, this is the ultimate catharsis that I was looking for. This is what I wanted to happen, and it feels good. Right. Mercury is a real good car. That was a car I was driving that day. Yeah. Not a lot of cars. Yeah, different kinds. A lot of different kinds of cars. She was standing, this girl, on the side of the street where there was this chicken stand. It wasn't a colonel, but it was a chicken stand, nevertheless. And uh, I pulled the mercury right up alongside, and then I rolled down the window, see, by electric power. And uh, she had this leather skirt on, and she had a lot of hair on her arms. I like it. I like it a lot. It means a big bush. I like a big bush. uncircumcised penis. You can imagine how bad I want my $25 back, huh? (laughs) Carl spends his days just staring out the window and rubbing his hands together. Seem familiar? 
As a passive person, he is often forced by serial rapist Charles to listen to some of his criminal history as a convicted sexual predator. Charles is played by the late, great J.T. Walsh, a recognizable character actor that I've always enjoyed. He actually died shortly after this film came out, and Jack Nicholson dedicated his best actor win for As Good As It Gets to Walsh. And he reminds me of a little bit of Nicholson in the brief moments he's in this film. And I was actually trying to figure out why. And I think that the way he delivers his lines I can see it, is a yeah. little bit like Christian Slater. Right. And Christian Slater in the early 90s and was late 80s was doing, doing Nicholson. Nicholson. And yeah. that's kind of like what it kind of all traced back to that. I'm kind of like, what is this way he's delivering? Right. I like Walsh from a movie called Breakdown. Have you ever seen that? With I don't Kurt think Russell, so, no. Where he plays the villain. He was also in a movie I watched this year called Red Rock West. I haven't seen that either. Starring Nick Cage and Laura Flynn Boyle. It's oh. kind of a fun early 90s neo-noir. It's All not right. too bad. He he plays the same type of character. Yeah, yeah. He hires a guy to kill his wife. You know, he's always kind of playing that guy. <laughs> Seedy. <laughs> this is the part where Molly Ringwald would have been in this interviewer part. I didn't really look into why she was in the short film and not the main film. I'm just assuming it was availability. She wasn't going to go to Arkansas to film this for like two days or something. Right. Probably whatever if you look closely at carl's head and he's got that crazy haircut haircut, yeah you can kind of see some circular scars yeah makes you think of electroshock therapy probably was going on at one point or another before they something uh not pleasant yeah and there's definitely strains of one flew over the cuckoo's nest at the beginning and the end and the whole thing and it makes you think back to some of the stuff we talked about last year where a lot of these hospitals would close this hospital doesn't close but Carl's nevertheless sent out on his own, and these people that are released into the world... Where do they go? And they have nowhere to go, and they don't have any idea what to do, and they don't know anyone. It's insane. What are you supposed to do? I know. Carl gives this haunting interview with the woman from the newspaper where he describes the story. That's going to be the opening clip, so I'm sure everyone gets it. But there's some hints about what went on with... Carl's life when he was a kid growing up. And according to Billy Bob Thornton in a February 7th, 1997 interview on Howard Stern's radio show, Carl living behind a shed is based on a boy where he grew up who could not walk or talk very well, so his parents kept him in a shed out back. Oof. Billy said the boy's mother was scared by a snake when she was pregnant, so they felt he was a child of the devil. Yikes. They kept him locked up and fed him like a dog, and it turned out the boy had polio. There is definitely some sad stories out there in the world. Good Lord. Yeah, and I think that Thornton was really tapping into some of that stuff. Some of that very barefoot, muddy, rural bullshit going on down there in the trees and rivers and shit. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Not a lot of electricity. I don't think Billy Bob Thornton had running water and electricity until he was older and he's born the same year as my parents he's not like he's that old i know just was a completely different world down there dude even when i lived in massachusetts and i was a kid i I think this made like national news too there was like a family the cops were like digging up their front yard because their young child was just missing and i don't know they were part of like some cult or something that didn't believe in like modern medicine and they like let the kid yeah die and they they ended up finding it eventually, like it, it was buried on their land up in like Maine or something. Yeah, it really shook me as a kid. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" 
Yeah. There's a lot of weird shit out there. Yeah. The state has determined that Carl is no longer a danger to himself or others, and so they release him. Carl wants to stay, but is told that he must leave, so he goes back to his hometown of Millsburg, where he is able to eventually get work as a small engine mechanic. This was reminding me a lot of Brooks from Shawshank. Oh, yeah. That's his name, right? Brooks. Brooksy. Yeah. (laughs) Just that idea. You've been here forever. Your whole life is this place. I know. You've been in here so long, you can no longer relate to or understand anything that's going on out there. I know. The culture shock seems like it would just kill you. Yeah, because, okay, let's pretend that Carl is the same age as Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton's born in 1955. He's 12 years old when he murders his mother and this teenage boy. That means we're talking about 1967. This movie came out in 1996. So from 1967 to 1996... He is living in a state hospital. Well, plus, Imagine how different the world is from how, that time well, period. How old was he when he went in? 12. So there's no evidence that he can take care of himself in no. the world on his own. None. That's, not, that's <laughs> yeah. apparently nobody's problem right. but his. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the way it is. It sucks. Carl is returning to a place he probably barely remembers, and even if he does remember it, it doesn't matter. It's going to be completely different. Right. I got to tell you, I, I don't see this town welcoming him with open arms. Well, some of the people seem to be all right. Welcome back, Carl signs plastered all over the uh, Hoochie's windows. Hoochie's. Hoochie's dollar store. Can I help you, sir? Can I help you, sir? I kind of want something other to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what would you like? You got any biscuits for sale in there? Well, no, this here's a frosty cream. We we don't serve biscuits. We got a lot of other stuff, though. What you got in there is good to eat. Well, we got big cheap burgers, bongo burgers, footlongs, corny dogs, frosty shakes, creamy bars. Uh, did, did you want me to go through the whole list? Reckon what you like to eat in there? Well, the french fries are pretty good. French fried potatoes? Yep, french fries. How much you want for them? Well, they're 60 for the medium and 75 for large. Hmm. I reckon I'll have me some of the big ones. All right, then one large french fries. Get a little cameo from Jim Jarmusch, the independent filmmaker. He plays the Frosty Cream employee. Oh, yeah. Nice to see. Well, Carl orders some French fried potatoes. Always kind of a weird-looking dude. The 90s were a great time for these cultural moments that would just come out of nowhere. And so you would have, like, the dancing baby on Ally McBeal, which oh, yeah. just was, like, a huge thing for, for some, some reason. For some reason, I know. The Macarena. Like that- yeah. Austin Powers voice. Yes. And then also Sling Blade voice. That's true. But the difference is, I think that... <laughs> you shouldn't have done a, that. It's a rare case where you have this goofy pop culture thing that everyone is imitating and doing, and it kind of sweeps the country, and way more people are familiar with the Sling Blade voice than probably ever even saw a Sling Blade. Right. But it's coming from a very legitimate and well-made piece of art, whereas some of that other stuff is a little bit more disposable and... Totally. Laughable in a sense. But yeah, every now and again, something actually legitimately great crosses over and it becomes this 
huge thing in the pop culture zeitgeist for some reason. <laughs> Where you just have like kids imitating this Sling Blade voice, and it's yeah. like, did they they even know what this movie is? <laughs> Hopefully not. Pro- well, I would say probably not. It yeah. just that's how big it got. You're just a boy. <laughs> that boy Frank, <laughs> he wants me to. <laughs> I just like that he calls him that boy Frank. Even at the very end, he yeah. still calls him that Frank. <laughs> Wandering around town, Carl meets and befriends 12-year-old Frank Wheatley. Lucas Black. Sharing any and all details of his past, including the killings, just blurts that out unceremoniously. Someone who would spend their career as a southern accent character. Lucas Black? Yeah. I really don't... What's his other... Besides Fast and Furious, what else? I I don't Uh, know that I can remember seeing him. He's in Friday Night Lights. He's like the quarterback. Oh, I never really was in that. Which also has Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, saw that they work together again. Yeah. Which I, is something Billy Bob does with everybody. It seems like he works with everyone. I don't know. He, he's been in other shit, but he always has a southern accent. It, 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 there's no transformative acting going on with him. Carl's helping Frank carry some laundry bags, and Frank starts asking him all kinds of questions, and he's like, don't you have a... A house or a place where you live and he's like why well, I, I used to live up at the state hospital but they turned me loose and he's like well why were you at the state hospital i killed a couple people yeah. <laughs> just blurting it out immediately to a yeah, child although not really ready to reveal the full details yeah i think he does that thing a couple times in the movie where mm-hmm. he'll say something and then he'll realize like i probably shouldn't have said that to a kid like oh, yeah. he does that a couple right. of different times it's definitely a poignant thing, though, and I don't know that I was emotionally mature enough to pick up on this years ago, but now you're looking at it differently as you get older, and you're thinking, okay, well, Frank is 12 years old, and that's the same age that Carl went into the hospital, and there's that poignant moment of innocence lost and what Carl potentially will see in Frank and want to protect, mostly out of natural instinct, which is heartwarming in and of itself, but it's also a reminder of what he went through and how he understands the world. His world understanding is based only on what's happened to him. Oh, yeah. and it's been fucked up and weird. And so now he sees this innocent. And so over the course of the runtime of the movie, it becomes part of his mission to protect that innocence. But Frank finds out pretty quickly that Carl has literally nowhere to go. And I guess we've already touched on it, but it is a commentary on mental illness in this country which we talked a little bit more about in the one floor of the cuckoo's nest episode there's just no safety net there's nothing there for these people i know and it seems like now more than ever the homelessness is rampant yeah carl tries to go back to the hospital but that's not going to work out so jerry i guess he's i don't know what you would call his position the president of the hospital i don't i I was thinking warden but that kind of seems too evil I think that only seems evil to me because of movies. I don't know what you would call it for a mental hospital, but he's basically in charge. He helps him out. He's a good guy. Yeah, he understands that it's messed up. Yeah. He's like, oh. He can only take it so far. I don't know what I can do for you, but I know It's not exactly like the OC. It's not going to be like, this is a long-term thing. Yeah. It's like fucking sloth in the Goonies. (laughs) (laughs) This is your... You're going to live with us now. Yeah. Jerry's kids are like, what the fuck? Yeah. You realize this guy killed two people? Really? <laughs> Jerry hooks him up with a job. This is where he's en- going to end up fixing the small lawnmowers. Bill Cox's outfit. <laughs> Another guy working at the engine repair place is Brent Briscoe. That's right. Who's with 
Billy Bob Thornton in A Simple, a Simple Plan. Plan. And I was saying to you that Dwight Yoakam, who's in this movie, he's in several yeah. Billy Bob Thornton projects throughout the years. And John Ritter, who's in this movie, he's in Bad Santa. And Natalie Canarday, who's in this movie, she's in One False Move, which Billy Bob Thornton also wrote and stars in. So he works with like the same people. Yeah, I respect it. So Jerry gets Carl this job, and it's great, and Carl's willing to do it, and he's a whiz at fixing lawnmowers. However, they don't really have any contingency plan in place. They're like, well, there's a cot in a bathroom. You can stay out in this garage if you want, if you don't have anywhere to go, but the way we lock up this place at night, you're basically going to be locked into the repair shop overnight. Yeah, I mean, and he's we... just like, all right. That man. works, yeah. <laughs> Although it's like unclear if he ever sleeps. I don't know. You know what I mean? Based on like his experience at the other gentleman's house where it seemed like he just sat up all night. Yeah. Doesn't seem like he sleeps a lot, that's for sure. Yeah. Once Carl's a little bit more settled into Millsburg with his new job, he goes and finds Frank again, and Frank introduces Carl to his mother, Linda, played by the aforementioned Natalie Canarday, as well as her friend and boss, Vaughn, played by John Ritter. Oh, yeah. Thornton said that he wrote the role of Vaughn specifically for his good friend, John Ritter. Oh, okay. I believe they met while working on a sitcom in the early 90s that I don't think ever went anywhere. I forget what it was called. When the film was in pre-production, Billy Bob Thornton envisioned John Ritter's character as having dyed blonde hair, thinking that Vaughn was a man who was transferred out of St. Louis for his job where the film was set and based his hairstyle on what he saw men sporting in GQ magazine. Thornton, Ritter, and the film's hairstylist began experimenting with hairstyles on Ritter at the hotel where the cast and crew stayed. According to Thornton, Ritter was insistent that the hairstyle wasn't too drastic as he had to go back to Los Angeles to shoot a public service announcement. Wow. But when the hairstylist came up with and applied the hairstyle that Ritter's Vaughn character would sport in the film, Thornton immediately approved. However, when Ritter finally got a look at his hair in the hotel room's bathroom, he was infuriated at (laughs) Thornton. Thornton said when Ritter went back home to shoot the public service announcement, he was wearing a baseball cap. That's hilarious. It's actually not that weird. No, I don't think so. It doesn't really suit John Ritter, especially John Ritter at this age, but it's not. No, I know. No, it's it's just sort of like frosted blonde right. spiked up hair. Vaughn is concerned about Carl's history, but Linda asks Carl to move into her garage, which will eventually anger her abusive and alcoholic boyfriend, Doyle, played by Dwight Yoakam. But nevertheless, Carl and Frank become fast friends. So this is all happening pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. He comes back to town after getting the job, runs into Carl again. Carl's like, hey, my mom's working over at Hoochie's, which, believe it or not, is a dollar store and not a strip club. Yep. Let's go talk to her. She'll give us free candy. So they go talk to... Linda. Linda's there with Vaughn. Linda not really worried at all about this no, friendship coming to be. No, she just sort of rolls with it. Yeah. Linda is insanely sweet, and that is very attractive about her. I think okay, that I think so. She's yeah. so nice that you can't help but like her a lot. Agreed. But when you actually stop and think about the job she's doing as a mother, it's a little bit loosey-goosey. <laughs> I think that's she's fair. She's dating yeah. a complete asshole who... Is semi-abusive and seems like he's on the verge of doing something. And then she lets this strange man just start hanging around her son. Now, it does turn out that Carl is protective of Frank and would not hurt Frank. And 
we know that Carl has a heart of gold, but it's it's a big yes thing to just do. Like, hey, yeah, twelve year old son, hang out with this guy. Even Vaughn is like, what What are you doing? I'll tell you what. Let's take it a step further. How about he comes to live with us? Yeah, let's yeah. just let him live in the garage. Vaughn is a homosexual, which is tough in a small, closed-minded town like this in the it South. It does seem like this would not be the place for him. But he is also Linda's best friend and has a very pure and familial interest in Linda yeah. and Fra- Frank. He cares for them, wants to protect them, worries about them, that kind of a thing. How'd your mama die? You don't need to hear things like that. You're just a boy. You need to think about good thoughts while you're still a boy. There's plenty of time for all the other. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of bad thoughts since Daddy died. Sometimes I wish I was still real little and he was still here. Mama's real good, but I wish I had both of them. We went to Memphis in the car one time. It was raining so hard we couldn't see the road. But I wasn't scared, because as long as Daddy was driving, I thought nothing can happen to us. That's the way I feel about Mama now. Mama has a boyfriend now. His name is Doyle Hargraves. He works construction, so he makes pretty good living. But he still don't help Mama out with any money, though. He ain't no good. He's mean to her. He don't like me at all. Mama says it's because he's jealous, because I belong to my daddy instead of him. He spends the night over the house sometimes, and he's got his own house. Somebody told me it's where he can have more girlfriends. I like it on the nights he ain't at our house. I ain't so nervous then. How come her to still be girlfriends and all with him? He mean to her. She says it's for the times when he's good to her. She's lonely since Daddy died. Sometimes she says she don't know why. He threatened to kill her if she ever left him. My daddy would kill him if he was still here and somebody was mean to mama. Vaughn, he's real good to mama. Vaughn that you met, but he's not able to do anything to door. He's funny, you know, not funny, ha ha, funny, queer. He likes to go with men instead of women. That makes him not be able to fight too good. He sure is nice, though. He's from St. Louis. People who are queer get along better in a big town. I wish he liked to go with women. I'd rather him be Mama's boyfriend than Doyle. So let's talk a little bit about Doyle. (laughs) It's out of control. The first thing that I ever remember seeing Dwight Yoakam in as an actor is that opening to Wedding Crashers, in which he is hilarious. Oh, yeah. And Rebecca DeMornay yelling at each other and getting divorced. I didn't know who he was at the time, although I would have recognized the name Dwight Yoakam as a country singer, but I wouldn't have known who that was. Yeah, same. Didn't really realize he had been doing a lot of acting off and on. And he's really good in this movie. Oh, yeah. Really plays this character convincingly. And I'm surprised that he really didn't do even more. He's been in a fair amount of stuff, but this really felt like he could be a villain. As a douche, he knocks it out of the park. In a big-time movie. Yeah. Opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger or... If you want to say like Swayze and Roadhouse, hell or yeah, something like that. He could be the villain in a movie like that pretty easily. He's the ultimate shit-kicking heel, a true asshole. His relationship with Linda seems loveless. She even refers to him as 
mean. A mean ass. Yeah. His mean ass. <laughs> and it's funny, but it's also tragic because you're reminded that she's basically trapped in this relationship. She can't get out of it. She's probably a little bit worried that closing in on 40 with a 12-year-old son. It's going to be hard to make Living in a meet. small town. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of options. Not a lot her. of suitors. So she's... St- clinging to this hope that maybe one day he won't be a monster we've all known women who have done this it sucks it is a bummer yeah and it's a huge burden not only on her but on her son who's constantly nervous which he talks about oh yeah and they do it in a fun subtle way where you're like thinking oh he's talking about carl and the way carl talks not making him nervous he's like when carl talks like i don't feel nervous and all this stuff and you realize yeah. the reason he's nervous is because his life is so turned upside down. We find out that his father didn't die in a tragic train accident, but right. instead committed suicide. Yeah, so in a fairly violent way. That hanging over yeah. his head, and now he's got his mom's boyfriend, who is a disaster. Doyle just seems like he's on the verge of an explosion at all times. Yeah, he's a thousand times worse when he's drinking, but he's still pretty bad when he's sober. Right, yeah. <laughs> Linda, Frank's mother, never has a close-up. She's almost always sharing the screen with someone else in either a long or medium shot. This illustrates how ignored and passed over she feels. Everyone knows she's trapped in an abusive relationship, but no one is helping her. I know. There's such a sadness to it. It is a very subtle thing, and I don't know that I would have been smart enough to pick up on Same. that without the research. But right. once I saw that and then was rewatching it, you're kind of like, yeah, you never get like a great look at her face. No, or I know. Anything. As soon as you just read that, I'm like, okay, yep. That's she's always kind of just like yeah. in the mix, but not the focal point, which seems like that's probably how it is for her whole life. But she's such a nice lady that... You really wish things would work out for her. Well, she's got to <laughs> stop being so nice. That's why people are pushing her around. Yeah, there, she's definitely like a little bit of a doormat. But yeah. like I said, I just think that you fall into the situation and then you don't think that you have any other options. Right. So what's in your bag? Mm. This and that. Toothpaste and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's all in books. Different one. One of them's the Bible. Mm-hmm. You believe in the Bible, do you, Carl? Yes, sir, a good deal of it. Mm. I can't understand all of it. Mm. Yeah, well, I can't understand none of it. This one begat that one, and that one begat this one, and begat and begat, and lo and behold, someone says some shit to someone or another. Just how retarded are you? Stop it, Doe. Frankie, you be quiet. We're talking. The adults are talking. So was you in lockup for cutting someone up with a hatchet or something? I ain't never used no hatchet that I remember. Mm. So you're just crazy in a retard kind of way then, huh? It wouldn't matter to me if you did do violence on somebody. I ain't scared of shit. You think I'm scared for you to stay here? You just a humped over retard, it seems to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Welcome to our humble home, buddy. See, Frank here needs all the friends he can get. Frank's a weak little kid. His daddy taught him how to be a pussy. Stop, Doe. Don't talk about my daddy. Don't talk about my daddy. Go on, get out of here. Go out of the garage, leave me be. 
Go on. Come on, Carl. Frankie. Don't say nothing about our little spat to your mama now. I don't want her worrying about your ass. Vaughn spends some time with Carl, essentially checking to see if it's okay for him to be around Frank and Linda. He also mentions to Carl that he fears Doyle could hurt or kill Linda and Frank one day. <laughs> totally normal thing. To, that's part of your life. I'm afraid that my yeah, well, coworkers. Well, I think that's a reality for yeah. people out there. I know. Every now and then you get caught up in somebody's drama, and when you minimize it and you refer to it as somebody's drama, it sounds like you're being dismissive. But the truth of it is, I've been caught up in some dramas. I'm sure. Where you're thinking, is is my aunt going to be murdered by this guy or some weird <laughs> shit? You know, yeah. it doesn't last right. most of the time, 99.9% of the time. It isn't as big of a deal as it seems like it could be. But, you know, you get caught up for a day or two oh, yeah. or a week or whatever. But unfortunately for Linda, it seems like that's her whole life is I know. this now. There's some sweetness, but also a lot of humor in Vaughn trying to relate to Carl. <laughs> that whole scene of the two of them yeah, yeah. when they go to the Frosty to eat is pretty funny. Because Vaughn is a very nice guy. Definitely. But he's also, I think, confused by Carl. And Carl, of course, doesn't relate to anyone right, in a normal yeah. way. So you're not really sure what Carl's it thinking. Is this, it's a weird interaction because it's as if Vaughn's trying to figure out a motive. But what would it possibly be? I think he has a hard time reading yeah. just how deep the issues are with Carl. Because at true. one point he's like, I think that you're a thinker too. You're like, yeah, me, right. you're a thinker. <laughs> He's like, what are you thinking <laughs> not about? Not getting it, yeah. He's like, I'm thinking about eating these fruit fried potatoes. <laughs> like, oh, okay, he's not actually thinking about anything. <laughs> I guess one of the big things that Doyle does is he likes to get his buddies together and get his drink on, and Definitely. they have a band. Yeah. Everyone in the this band, was... including Yoakum, is an actual musician, but they're, the gimmick is like they're terrible <laughs> in the movie. sadly reminding me of some <laughs> gigs from my life. <laughs> Yeah, they weren't actually that bad, but it was yeah. just sort of lame that they're like 43 years old, balding, right. out they're on a front porch. Just playing for like three people in lawn chairs. And the songs are kind of like these labored, half-assed surf rock sounding yeah, yeah. songs, which is a weird genre for Arkansas. the sticks in Arkansas, yeah. but you got the screaming neighbors. and Then there's like a whole Jeff Beebe type explosion. <laughs> They have the less than enthusiastic audience. Yeah. It's such a weird moment in the movie. And you can tell that Thornton definitely wanted to put in some of this weird shit that came from his own life or personality or experiences. Because this whole thing with the guy Morris and the band doing that poetry and then it devolving into the band screaming at each other. That's such a weird scene. No, I know. Well, I think it to some degree illustrates what Doyle is. These guys are such losers, but he's the king of the losers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good description. He's like a half a tick smarter, half a tick better than his dumbass friend. The other guy in the band, it's like he's talking about the two of them as if they're like Lennon and McCartney (laughs) with this songwriting partnership that they have. (laughs) And then the other guy in the band's like, I don't think we've ever played a song you two have written. (laughs) And then the other guy's like, we've never played a song with words in it because we don't have a microphone. I think it's actually his bandmates kind of reiterating how small time they are that sets Doyle off. That's right, yeah. Which is basically like me whenever uh-huh. you 
act like we're small time for this podcast and i'm like fuck you yeah <laughs> fucking get the fuck out we don't even have microphones <laughs> it's a sad drunken night yeah that goes on and on and on into the wee hours. Vaughn oh, and Carl don't want right. to be there. Doyle's kicking people out of not his house. At a certain point, Linda and Frank have both gone to bed, but Vaughn and Carl s- still seem to be trapped. I actually think, based on nothing, but I would guess that one of the things they cut to shorten this was that trip Yeah, to the get more liquor. Because right, right. he makes a whole big thing about taking Carl and Vaughn and they don't want to go. Oh, yeah. And then it just cuts to them in the living room. It seems like they were setting up for that trip to be something. Right. And they, I guess they got rid of it. Well, maybe. it does seem like Vaughn could leave. I don't know if he's just afraid something's going to happen. Yeah, you're always stuck in that position where you don't know what to do. Yeah. Because Carl, I, I don't control. know where he's going to he, Carl never knows where he's going to go if it's not this garage. Right. Carl just goes with the flow. Yeah. It is like literal footage of me and Matt when we were trying to have a band, like just screaming at each oh, other. Yeah, a band, a podcast, whatever. No, actually, it isn't really like that at all for this podcast or when me and Matt had a band, but I've definitely had meltdowns that were kind of like that. <laughs> Whenever we thought we found a new drummer and then we like are all jamming in a basement and it turns out this guy had like never even played drums and he's just kind of like sitting at the drum kit and we're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Who brought this guy? That was a very famous meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, boy. You're like 23, and yet you feel like you're so old. <laughs> like, this is so embarrassing. Our moment's about this. to pass. This yeah. was it. And then Our lives were in the hands of this drummer. <laughs> I know. It felt like we had all that momentum, and yeah. then it was, we didn't have a drummer after all. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> What exactly are, are you talking about? I don't understand. Exactly the point, my young level-headed friend. I don't get it. Well, I rest my case. Morris is real smart with philosophies and things. Uh, that's why him and me is the songwriting team of our group. See, I come up with the good tunes, or melodies as we call them, and um, Morris is the lyrics. Not unlike Gary Brooker, the pro called Harem. We don't ever play any songs that y'all wrote. I ain't heard one of them. Y'all just talk. We don't even play any songs with words at all that I remember. We ain't got no fucking microphone. We ain't got no speaker set up. We wrote one last night outside the Mini Mart. Um, Morris called it, Stuart Drives a Comfortable Car. And then, like in country songs, you know, in parentheses, it says, there's usually someone in the trunk. And, and, um... I came up with a tune just to humming. See, you don't want to question a genius, Vaughn. Morris here, he's a modern-day poet. Kind of like in the olden times. Yeah, I got a new tune. It's in compositions entitled The Thrill. Goes something like this. I stand on the hill, not for a thrill, but for a breath of a fresh kill. And never mind the man who contemplates doing away with license plates. He stands alone anyhow, baking the cookies of discontent by the heat of the laundromat vent. Leaving his soul! Then like in poetry, I go dot, 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 you know, kind of off center, then I drop down, and then I go leaving his soul, part in the waters of the medulla oblongata of 
mankind. That damn good song, wasn't it, dog? You like that song? All right. <laughs> I don't think that's right. I believe the dot, dot, dot come between medulla and oblongata. Well, it did. The dots are where I say they are. Melody and tune. That's your trade turn. You're a tunesmith. I don't understand the meaning of the words. If y'all don't shut up, I'm gonna go out of my mind. Besides, Carl here's liable to bust a spring. He's already off balance. That wasn't the way he made it up before, Morris. That's all I know. Oh, we don't need no fancy words. I mean, we need to practice. We need to rehearse. I'll tell you what we need. We need some paying gigs. We don't need this messing around first one patio and then another, and that's ridiculous. Amen, Johnson. We don't got no goddamn band. We don't need to fucking practice, Randy. We don't need a shit-ass manager, neither. You motherfuckers. Y'all just a bunch of losers. I'm the only one sane son of a bitch here. Just get the fuck out of my house now. Not your house, Doyle. It's Linda's. I'll whip the dog shit out of you, Vaughn. I will fucking kill you if you talk to me again. Now, all of you, get the fuck out now before I get too mad to turn back. What about our instruments? Come here, you little prick. Come here, you little fucking prick. Get out. All y'all. Now, get the fuck out. Come on, you motherfuckers! Get the fuck out! Randy, you tuning son of a bitch! Don't fucking practice, Randy! Come on, Morris, you fucking genius! Get the fuck up and get the fuck out of here! God damn it! This ain't right, Bill. Hey, there's something wrong with you. Get the fuck Nobody out, Nobody wants to take this shit, man. Docs look good on paper. You don't sing them anyway. You're just showing your true ear is color now. Stay out of my goddamn face, you fucking buzzard. and go. Come on. This is not your house, Doyle. This is my house, and I'll say who stays and who goes. You got a house. Why don't you go get one of your girlfriends and go home to it? You know better than to talk to me like that when I'm hurting, Linda. Don't make me knock a piss out of you. Don't you touch her. That's funny, Vaughn. Linda, go to bed and take little snot nose here with you. You're not staying here tonight. Go get sober before you come back. I'm tired of my child seeing this. Now, you get your ass straight or I'll lock your ass out of my life for good. If you even think about leaving me, Linda, I told you, I'm going to kill you dead in a doornail. That might be better than this. All right, I'm a witness. I heard you threaten her. Hey, you get the fuck out now! Leave! Don't tell me what to do, Linda. Leave! Don't tell me what to do. Leave! Don't tell me what to do. Leave! Don't you tell me what to do, Linda. Don't do that, Linda. I'm calling the police. God damn you, little prick. Hey! Go, 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 go
All right. Okay. I'm gonna leave now. Fuck me. Fuck me. I'm gonna go home and sober up. Don't leave. Everything's bothering me. I'm hurting, Linda. I love you. Well, I hate you. I hate you, you little prick. No, I don't. No, I don't. I love you, Mama. I just... I can't explain what goes on. You bunch of freaks. I hope you have fun. I'll call you tomorrow. I'm sorry, honey. I said I'm sorry, Linda. Okay. All right, you can kiss my ass. And if you ever hit me again, you little bastard, I swear to God I'll make you sorry your daddy ever squirted your ass out. You hear me? Anyway, Doyle is a drunken disgrace. He kicks all of his buddies out after berating them and then starts taking it out on everyone else. Linda comes out and is like, shut up, you need to leave, you're drunk, this isn't your house. So then Doyle and Linda start getting into it. Linda pushes him, he pushes her back, and then Frank jumps in, standing up for his mama in a big way. Frank, a 12-year-old kid just kicking the shit out of Doyle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is hilarious, whenever Doyle's just like on the ground holding his head and Frank is just throwing bigger and bigger things at him. (laughs) You're expecting him to like literally pick up a TV and drop it, it on his head. It is great. I know. It's, it's out of nowhere. Frank's actually just beating the shit out of Doyle <laughs> using every weapon he can find. He puts him like in the figure four. Yeah. <laughs> like tapping out. Like, get it off. Get it off. It does seem like Doyle is beaten into submission by yeah, the end of Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he's so drunk, I think, yeah. that once he falls down, he can't get back up if Frank won't stop throwing right. stuff at him. <laughs> Vaughn tries to help as much as he can. Carl sits on the couch and says nothing. Doyle is refusing to leave, and then eventually he does. And it seems like a big blowout that would potentially be the end of a lot of relationships, but we know that it's not going to be. This seems like pretty much par for the course for old Linda and Doyle. Over time, Carl becomes a role model or even a father figure to Frank, who misses his own deceased father and despises Doyle. Frank tells Carl, I like the way you talk. Carl likes the way Frank talks, too. Uh huh. I was saying to you while we were watching this right before recording that the more times you rewatch it, it becomes more and more clear just how many times people have brought up wanting Doyle to be killed <laughs> in front of Carl, and Carl's just soaking it all in. Yeah, there's definitely a theme. Yeah, if you're not super perceptive, you may not be guessing from the very first minute the first time you see the movie or anything like that but yeah the more times you watch it you're like holy shit people won't stop talking about it <laughs> i wish somebody would just kill this motherfucker yeah. <laughs> carl's like mm-hmm. just soaking it in yeah he's just taking a poll of the town i did think it was weird that they decided to cut out 20 minutes of this movie and they somehow left in all of the stuff with linda and vaughn playing matchmaker with Carl. Yeah. With Melinda, the developmentally disabled girl that works at the Hoochie's dollar store. I guess there's just like a sweetness to it, but it does seem completely unnecessary. It is unnecessary, although at the same time it is necessary. 
Because it just makes you connect to the characters more. I don't want to be yeah. so into like we have to trim out everything because well, of course that's what makes movies right. movies. It's like you want to live in the characters. And I do think he was trying to find that right balance of making the heavy moments feel heavy but make the movie enjoyable when you're not in the heavy moments. Yeah. If you didn't really have a payoff in mind for the Melinda angle, maybe dedicate that more to the Carl-Frank relationship to even strengthen that even another step forward. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it, there's no real payoff to this other than it's kind of funny and charming. Totally. Like when <laughs> Carl and Melinda go on their walk and Melinda's just fucking huffing that cig and like <laughs> booking it. Like she's walking so fast, I know. just like smoking that cigarette. <laughs> As Carl and Frank grow closer, Carl tells the boy that he is haunted by an incident that happened when he was much younger, around six or eight years old. His parents performed some kind of half-assed abortion Oof. of his unwanted baby brother and made Carl dispose of the body, but Carl found the baby was actually still moving and oh. then ultimately buried him alive. This was the first scene that I ever saw from this movie. I think I like <laughs> Quite walked, an introduction. I think I walked in and my dad was watching it and it, like this scene was playing. <laughs> what a moment between yeah. father and son. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I can handle this. Just him talking about it? Yeah. A disturbing story. In a way that it doesn't really like affect me now, but at a younger age, I was like, "Good lord!" I'm just not even picturing these types of things happening in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a whole new level of darkness, and it's to reiterate how fucked up this really was. Because at first, you're hearing this and you're thinking, "Man, he killed his mom and that other guy at 12 years old." So you're thinking, "12 years old." But then he throws the six or eight at you, and you're like, "Oh Jesus, fucking Christ!" Yeah, he's living in a shed. And then they bring out a living baby that they made come out too early. Like, they Oof. induced labor, I guess, to make it come out. And then, ugh. Yeah, horrifying. And even though Carl is slow and he does have his own mental disability, it's not as if this stuff is stuff that you can just forget and move on from, no matter oh, yeah. who you are. Despite all of the red flags and his behavior from the previous meltdown, Linda forgives Doyle and they reconcile. Doyle announces to Frank and Carl that he is moving into the house. I like the way he phrases it, too. (laughs) Whenever he's trying to be, like, Mr. Good Guy, and he's like, I figured I'd give you some little piece of happiness today. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, it's like the worst news imaginable. (laughs) Frank's like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously. Mom! Really? Yeah. Carl eventually tracks down his father, who is played by Robert Duvall. This was sort of shocking to see in a small role. This was a favor for Billy Bob Thornton because Thornton appears in The Apostle. Yeah. Which was Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall 90s movie. And Thornton appears in it for free. Okay. It's not a big part, but neither is this. Well, Robert Duvall, who wouldn't be in Godfather 3 because they wouldn't ante up. Right. Well, he was making his own movie. I believe he directed The Apostle as well. Okay. Which was his big Oscar thing. I don't know. Did he he win the Oscar that year or was he just nominated? I I don't know. I remember when The Apostle came out. It was like a big thing. This was like an era of Robert Duvall where he was making yet another comeback. And yet it seemed like he was really embracing these lived-in, weathered... Oh, yeah. Leathery rolls. But this one is very strange. He only has like three or four lines. But it is haunting. You get it. Just sits in his chair and those like 
long underwear. Talking to himself. Yeah, I think they said on one of the commentaries that the idea was he's talking to a dog that had died like 20 years ago. Wow. He's just completely off, has dementia, drunk, just completely. But, you know, living at home still. Carl's father is a sickly old man living alone in a dilapidated house that is in the process of collapsing. Definitely looks like it should already be condemned and that nature is in the process of taking it back because the walls aren't even connected everywhere. It seems like the world is getting in to the house, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Falling apart. When Carl arrives, his father is muttering to himself, almost completely gone mentally. His father also keeps insisting that he ain't got no boy. So there's not going to be a warm and fuzzy reconciliation here. Hard to imagine that there would have been... Can't really tell where the husband-wife relationship, where it was at. Yeah, we don't uh, have all the details about what was going on. But obviously there was some sort of extramarital activity going on. Carl does mention that his mother was an attractive woman, but I just find that so hard to believe. (laughs) Carl scolds his father for his past cruelty and confesses that he thought many times about killing him, but now no longer sees the need. Pretty brutal assessment. I'd say. I've thought about killing you for so long, and now that I'm looking at how pathetic you are, I realize it's not even worth it. Oof. (laughs) You'll be dead soon. Yep. I'm your oldest boy. Name of Carl. I ain't got no boy. They turned me loose from the nervous hospital. Said I was well. Mm-hmm. Mm. I got hard on to work for a Mr. Bill Cox for fixing lawnmowers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That grass out there in the yard, it's grown up quite a bit. I figured I might cut it for you. Mm-hmm. I told you I ain't got no boy now. Why don't you get on out of here and let me be? You ain't no kin to me. I learned to read some. I read the Bible quite a bit. I can't understand all of it, but I reckon I understand a good deal of it. Them stories you and Mama told me, they ain't in there. You ought not done that to you, boy. I studied on killing you. I studied about it quite a bit. But I don't reckon there ain't no need for it. All you gonna do is sit there in that chair. You'll be dead soon enough. And the world will be shut of you. You ought not kill my little brother. You ought to have a chance to grow up. He would have had fun sometime. I like to imagine Carl speaking like that, but he's just as intelligent as anyone else. Absolutely. That's the way I picture it. He understands that anything and everything. Yeah. He can even have a normal job, but he just talks like that. <laughs> well, there's definitely a portrayal of an understanding. He gets this situation. 
Okay. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, there is sort of a an unconventional wisdom yeah, to the yeah. character, which I think is crucial to making the character interesting, but also at times can make the character verge on unrealistic, but it doesn't get too bad except for that one yes. bit of dialogue right. I pointed out towards the end, which I'm not even sure if we'll call that out when we get to it because okay. I don't even remember exactly what he says, but it, there is sort of it a It does feel out of place from everything else. Yeah, it's a little too poetic yeah. for someone who's only read the Bible and a carpentry book. <laughs> and I'm not sure if he's actually read A Christmas Carol because he keeps calling it a book on Christmas, and I'm like, I don't know if it's really a book about Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Carl is a fascinating creation. His simplistic nature ultimately ends up feeling more like a smokescreen than anything else because under the surface, Carl is actually quite complex. He's observant, too, and thanks in large part to the unique circumstances of his life to this point, he's had plenty of time to observe, to think, too. Certain parts of everyday life or the human experience may not always come naturally to old Carl, but He's had plenty of time to ponder the differences between right and wrong. In a sense, Carl, as an outsider, functions as an avatar for the rest of us stuck on the outside looking in. He's trying to make sense of what seems to be a hopeless situation, an unjust one. Linda and Frank appear to be trapped with very limited options. Carl probably possesses only a rudimentary understanding of the fucked up dynamics of toxic relationships like Linda and Doyle's, but perhaps a rudimentary understanding is all he needs. Right is right and wrong is wrong. What happened to Carl at the hands of his parents is wrong. His father is wrong. So is Doyle. In Carl's mind, and most people's, childhood innocence is right. And that's what he fixates on. Oh, yeah. He does stop and pay his respects to his younger brother's grave, which I guess he marked in the yard himself, so he knows where it is. I don't even know if... Yeah, it was sort of a makeshift uh, headstone. Little feller. Yeah. There's definitely a heaviness to that moment, because obviously that impacted him more than his parents. You kind of take away a little something with the Frank character and how he kind of looks at him as a little brother. Yeah. Well, Frank is like a little brother or a son or him. Yeah. Kind of a combination of right. all three. Yeah, they do make comments about Frank looking for a father figure, too, but it's just so hard for me to picture... <laughs> Carl as a father figure. Well, that's why you I, say I, father figure, and yeah, not father. I know, but I still feel more comfortable with older brother. <laughs> that feels vaguely prejudiced of you. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel like Carl's guiding him. Nobody is though, because okay. it's it's more than just specifics. He's All got right. Vaughn or other people or his mother for specifics, but he's got the pure nature of Carl to be a lighthouse, like a guide, yeah, like a more general guide. Right and wrong. Because if you notice, they did write stuff into True. the script where he's like, you yeah. shouldn't talk like that. Right, you right. Think You're like a boy. That. Yeah. And it's just sort of positive reinforcement. It's not like, I'm going to get drunk and terrorize you yeah. and your mother, but I'm going to just sort of guide you generally. Okay. And, you know, I'm going to also open your mother's bedroom door at three in the morning, holding a hammer and turn on the lamp and say, I want to get baptized. Horrifying. That's this, actually such an insane this scene. I know. Obviously, this is not his motivation, but it does sort of seem like this is a Doyle, I'm going to fuck with you. I'm going to say this, though. Yeah. If I'm Doyle, I 100% agree. We got to get rid of this. I, absolutely. After that this seems scene. unhinged. He opens the fucking door, turns on the light. Holding a hammer. The silhouette of him holding a hammer. <laughs> Linda's just like, no biggie. Like, what you want, hon? Are you okay, yeah. hon? 
it, it looks like he's out. on the verge of murdering them. Well, go find a fucking preacher, then we can't baptize. <laughs> There's strands of hair wildly all over the place. And so they do. They get Carl baptized in the morning. After Carl's baptism, Doyle sends Linda out to pick up some chicken for lunch so that he has the chance to talk to Frank and Carl alone. This is some head of the household, follow my rules now kind of shit. He's going to put his foot down. I'm moving in here, so what I say goes. The only problem that exists between your mother and me is you. (laughs) It's like so fucked up. (laughs) Doyle announces that Carl is no longer welcome at their house. When Frank protests, Doyle grabs him, but Carl intervenes and warns him to never touch Frank again. Mm Mm-hmm. Which Doyle continues to try to act tough, but he does sort of back There's, off. Yeah, and this is sort of a you-don't-want-to-fuck-with-Carl moment, you know? I'd be thinking back to that hammer. Carl is a gentle, laid-back, passive guy, but he's also pretty big. Yeah, puts his foot down here. And if he gets riled up about something, I don't think you want to see that. Would you do something for me if I had to ask you to? You know I would. Whatever you want. When you leave out of here tonight, I don't want you going nowhere and staying with that door. He's got it out for you tonight. I got me a feeling too. You ought not be aware when he's all liquored up and mean that away. Your mama neither. When you get up here and leave, I want you to go over to that feller's house. Your mama's friend. Give me your word on it. Okay. I give my word on it. Is everything going to be okay? Are you all right? Yeah, everything's going to be all right, boy. I kind of want to put my arm around you for a minute. Then I'm gonna get up and leave out of here. quickly in the aftermath of this announcement from Doyle you have Frank upset realizing what his life is going to be from now on and he's confiding in Carl about it and Carl seems to just make up his mind his mind is made up even if everyone else is still a bit mystified he goes and he has interactions with everyone one last interaction he talks to Linda when she gets back with the chicken she seems confused He goes and sees Frank in Frank's secret hiding spot, and they have their last poignant little moment where he's putting his arm around him, telling him that he's proud of him. He's giving him his books. Oh, yeah. Frank still thinks Carl's just leaving, though. 
like everyone else. Like, oh, don't let this son of a bitch run you off. That kind of stuff. And like I said, I think even for the audience, it's not a real surprise where it's headed from here, but it doesn't matter because it ends up being total audience catharsis. Justification. You feel great. He gives fucking Carl the bookmark that says, you will be happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny, but also kind of a tearjerker type moment. Right. Realizing that with Doyle that deeply entrenched in young Frank's life, it will lead to an unhappy childhood or perhaps worse for the poor boy. Carl persuades him and Linda to spend the night at Vaughn's house. And it all becomes like a train crash in slow motion. Uh Everyone seems puzzled, and yet at the same time, the movie does a pretty good job at making it seem like Linda, Frank, and Vaughn do kind of know what's coming, but they don't want to say it because that, to them, is a sin in a way to let it happen. But it feels like they kind of sense that something's going to happen. Quietly rooting for it. Maybe not Frank. Maybe not Linda either, but Vaughn definitely would have to know that something's about to happen. Oh, yeah. Why is Carl showing up at my house and telling me that Linda and Frank are going to stay here and that something's going on with Doyle? And then just be like, make sure that this is happening. I don't know. It's all very weird. Mm -hmm. Even if it's some subconscious way, everyone kind of has to have a vibe now. (laughs) There's going to be something happening. We don't know what, but something. Something's in the air. Later that evening, Carl returns to Linda's home carrying a freshly sharpened lawnmower blade and finds Doyle drunk and alone in the living room. If you pay close attention, you kind of have a sound cue here because that same sort of dome, dome, when he told the report of the story of his past murders, that sound starts coming. That like oppressive. He's asking (laughs) a drunk Doyle. How would he get the police to come out? And he's like, well, I guess you'd call 911. He's like, how do I do that? Yeah, Doyle really calling the bluff here, huh? He's like, I aim to kill you. He's like, well, then you better tell him to bring an ambulance or a hearse, I guess. He's like not even really paying attention. No selling? Yeah. And then Carl kills Doyle with the lawnmower blade. Pretty unceremoniously just stands up and just hacks at him. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, Doyle. We're sad to see you go. It's a jarring but also great moment where you're kind of like, fuck yeah, great. And it's done in just the right way where you don't really see any of the violence. There's nothing bloody or gory or anything. You don't even see Doyle. Once, yeah. it's, once it's panned up, you see him bring the blade down, but you don't even see what he's hitting, and then it's over, and then that's it. Where's everybody else? You seen him? Didn't I tell you get moved out of here? How does a fella go about getting hold of the police? Mm-hmm. Use the fucking phone, I guess. Which numbers do you put in? Hmm. Can't you see I'm trying to relax? I thought I told you to get out of here, leave me alone. What the hell are you doing with that lawnmower blade? 
aim to kill you with it. Call the police, you push nine, one, one. Just tell them to bring an ambulance. Or Hurst, you're gonna kill me. By the way, the last words spoken in the movie by Doyle, Vaughn, Frank, and Linda are all the same. They all say, Carl? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> and then that's that's the last yeah. line they all have in the movie at different points. After the deed is done, Carl does in fact call 911 and then eats biscuits with mustard, an old childhood favorite of his while waiting for the police to come. We never actually get to see Linda, Frank, or Vaughn again, which is kind of disappointing. I, I did want to see a little bit of closure there. Frank, like a happy Frank? Frank would be happy. Obviously, Linda's going to be very upset. But yeah, I think yeah. in the long term, she'll realize that this was necessary and that one day it may occur to her why it needed to happen mm-hmm. and how Carl actually protected Frank. Carl is returned to the same state hospital he was in at the beginning of the film but he's now a little more assertive than he was before. Telling this guy to shut up, finally. Charles corners him, starts telling him more stories about his sex crimes, and then begins to question Carl's relationship with Frank, and this angers Carl, who tells Charles to never speak to him again. Just let me sit by my window and look out it. I was actually getting a little bit emotional at the end of the movie this time because I was like, that's all I want. I was like, that's usually what you do before we start the show. I know. I just want to be able to stare out the window. <laughs> As Charles walks away, Carl turns toward him and then resumes looking out the window toward an open field. And that is the end. As right. I said, this is the type of performance you would like to see recognized all the time by the Academy. Just yeah. because there's certain movies, there's certain performances, there's certain songs from movies, whatever it is that capture the cultural yeah, moments. They become a big yeah. deal. It would be stupid if My Heart Will Go On didn't win the Academy Award. Right. By that same note, I would say it's stupid that Billy Bob Thornton didn't win. Just because it's a performance that everyone remembers. They know this reference point. I know. It's so memorable. I don't know. The Oscars is just not that. I know the complaint about the Oscars is stupid, but it's more about like winning a trophy. It's more of just a, a, a history of recognition. This stands out from this particular year, and so this should be the one that we remember the most. No offense to fucking Shine or Jeffrey Rush, but I don't think anyone cares about that movie or even remembers no. it. I'm sure there's some people out there that do, and it's probably a good movie, but that's not the point. No one cares or remembers. Anyway, I like this movie, so thanks to Mike for oh, yeah. thanks, doing Mike. the listener request. We appreciate the support, of course. Gave us an opportunity to watch a movie together for the first time in a while. I know. I wasn't expecting it to be that difficult to pull this off. Thankfully, I already owned the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray and the DVD both seem like they're out of print 
unfortunately. So you're probably going to have to turn to eBay to get one at the moment. It seems crazy. Unless you can find one at a used store or something. But it happens. Unfortunately, a lot of the Miramax and Weinstein Company catalog may get lost in the shuffle at some point. I know some of them have already been put out by Lionsgate and different things here and there. And maybe Lionsgate will pick up this one, too. And it's just falling through the cracks for the moment. Sure. But you don't like to see it because it makes you nervous about what's happening as the streaming world may begin to crumble on itself here any day now, especially with the writer's strike and everything that's going on. And you really want to hang on tight to those DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah, a lot of positivity out there. (laughs) I have actually been to Arkansas now a couple of times. I work for a company that's based in Arkansas. How about that? I live there. Yeah. So I've I've roamed around. Yeah, this is kind of like some guys that reminded me of Carl. Your stomping grounds, really. <laughs> I've I've been to Hoochies a time yeah. or two. <laughs> <laughs> a second job at a Hoochies. <laughs> yeah, well, I was getting flashbacks. Yeah, of a certain second job, I used to have. Anyway, so thanks to Mike for the listener request. If you would like to know when yours is coming, go back to the beginning of the episode. I'm not going to list that again, but. Listener requests are $50 for a movie up to 2 hours and 10 minutes, $75 for a movie up to 3 hours. We will negotiate for over 3 hours, try to figure something out that's fair, that accounts for how much time it takes, whatever. You can reach out on Twitter at GreatestPod or email GreatestPod at gmail.com to work out all the details. We currently have one slot available for August, probably one for September, Two for November, two for December. So that's pretty much it for the entire year. Matt always like rolls his eyes when I start doing this. I'm not doing it anymore. There's a chance that those will be filled up by the end of the month or something, and yeah. then people will be mad when they're like asking me in six weeks, and then I'm like, we got to wait till next year. Yeah. And then people will think that's insane. Well, people but don't listen, I though. Explain it. I, I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you explain it. They're still going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but yeah. I'm putting it out there right. so that it exists on the record. We have six slots left this year. When someone asks, are you going to say, go back and listen to that episode because I'm not repeating it? And No. <laughs> and as we alluded to, you're not put on the schedule till we cross that finish line with the money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you don't have one of your slots until the deal is done right. and it's paid for. But anyway, yeah. let's get into our segments because we do have several to talk about. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Do you want to do a recommendation? I'll do a recommendation. Let's do it. I think it'll fit on this episode because I watched this on Amazon Prime. Just wasn't something that was on my radar, but I think it came up in the movies we'll we'll think you'll like section. And it was a a Robert Duvall-led movie from 1983, Tender Mercies. Oh, okay. I had never seen this. It was totally for me. This alcoholic country star kind of seems like a Jackson Maine from A Star is Born. It, the situation turned out a little bit differently for him. But Was this not in the Joe Bob Briggs live show that we went to? Didn't he show a clip from Tender? He, he may have, but I wouldn't have known it <laughs> at that point. The one dude from Twin Peaks is randomly in it, like the weird dude that won't leave his house, which I don't think I had ever like seen that dude in anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy just died recently. Oh, oh, did he? Okay, yeah. You mean he's like in season two? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He was in it. Ellen Barkin. Yeah. You know? I liked it quite a bit. It's 83, but still feels like the 70s. Right. 
I don't know. I, I I thought it was cool. It was up my alley. Tender Mercies on Amazon Prime. If you'd like a little bit more Robert Duvall, I believe that movie probably takes place in the South as well. Yes, it does. He's a former country star. Right. Finding his way back. I don't really have anything specific for recommendations. I'll just put out a reminder for those of you who enjoyed our give us a second on yellow jackets or have engaged in the yellow jackets discuss ever i myself have fallen a little bit behind on season two but it doesn't matter we are gonna do a give us a second for yellow Jackets season two the season will probably end in june so we will be in the middle of one trashy summer so we may not get to that give us a second until july but that's just a little bit of a reminder that we will be doing a Give Us a Second on Yellow Jackets Season 2. If you have Showtime or Paramount Plus or wherever it is, you can watch it and make sure you're caught up so you can get into that whole thing. I haven't watched enough of the episodes really to have a firm opinion on the season yet. I yeah. do think that there's a little bit less buzz, no pun intended, for ha. Yellow Jackets. But, you know, that happens with Season 2s. It already was renewed for Season 3. I liked the beginning of it. so Yeah, yeah. I need I'm, to get caught up still. Yeah, well, I do too. I'm yeah. a couple behind. So that's just a reminder that we will do the Give Us a Second at some point. We'd like you to tune in and be a part of that. And that's actually a fun one for email. So if you have a Yellow Jackets specific email that you come up with between now and the end of the season of Yellow Jackets and would like to get involved with that Give Us a Second, maybe some talking points, send that to us, greatestpod at gmail.com. But Notate that it's for the Yellow Jackets thing if you do that. If you, I'd probably be able to read it and tell, but whatever. You know what <laughs> I'm saying. Because I'd like to maybe incorporate a couple emails into a Yellow Jackets discussion if people have thoughts on it. I know some people were interacting with me about the show last year. So let's do a little bit of our other segments. All right. Exciting. This one is called Mailbag. Cool. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. We've gotten several emails from people. We're only going to read one at a time. So if your email isn't read yet, don't worry. We will read it. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't the best one. No, I didn't even read the two that came after this. Okay. However many it was, two or three. So, so yeah, we're going to read one at a time. But anyway, we've gotten a couple... But we still need more, as I was alluding to earlier. The sure. show isn't ending anytime soon, so please continue <laughs> to send the emails. Just because we're backed up now doesn't mean we will be in a couple of weeks. Send the emails, greatestpod at gmail.com. This one is from John. John writes, hey, Zach. Oh, Matt, just immediately out of this. Wow. I know you're looking for letters to read on air, so here goes. Question one for you guys. Is there a bad movie you really love in spite of knowing it's no good? Hmm. For me, that movie would be Broken Lizard's Club Dread. I saw Club Dread for free in college. It was a free screening, like a sneak preview. They did that sometimes. I actually got to see The Life Aquatic like a few weeks before it came out for free on campus. Broken Lizard's Club Dread was one that we got to see for free, and this is the height of Super Troopers coming out right. on DVD or whatever we all had at the time, and everyone losing their mind over Super Troopers. So that was very exciting. I remember being kind of disappointed in yeah. Club Dread, but I don't really remember it. I'll break some ground here. I am also a Club Dread person. You love it. <laughs> so it's probably, Even though you know it's terrible. Probably not anymore, but that was definitely a movie that 
got play amongst my friends and we would watch it and quote it and everything like even though we knew that it wasn't really the celebrated movie and nobody really liked it after the huge phenomenon that super troopers had been uh, <laughs> or at least became yeah once it was like available and dvd and vhs right but i mean obviously this was all after that and yeah, yeah there was a time in my life bill paxton playing coconut pete who's like right <laughs> supposed yeah. to be like this jimmy buffett his songs are like hilarious ponytails cocktails i can't even yeah <laughs> yeah i saw it that one time i don't think i ever saw it again no i'm happy to have somebody bring it up because i do like club dread i did try to rewatch it over the last year and i didn't finish it is there a bad movie you really love in spite of knowing it's no good? The answer is yes. I, I'm sure there's several. Yeah. But I also, I have to be honest and say that I'm not a big fan of the idea of... Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. You like what you like. Yeah. You either I mean, like something or you don't. So I have a weird thing where I'm like, would I refer to this as bad if I like it? I guess like the one for the show, the collective of the show would be Halloween 3, right? What the? F- I think Halloween three is good though. Uh, me too. I don't know, but don't people <laughs> generally consider that to be a bad movie? I guess, yeah, but I don't. So okay, doesn't... there you go. <laughs> His question is like one that you know is bad. Too. Okay. I don't know because if, if I like it, I think it's good. One of my favorite movies is Wish Upon a Star, which yeah. we did on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. which is a made-for-TV movie for twelve-year-old girls. I guess the answer is we just don't look at it that way. Yeah, I was just showing Matt my you new like what you like. Scream Factory Blu-ray of the 2005 remake of House of Wax starring Paris Hilton, and I was like excited about it because I like that movie. Sometimes I'll see a movie and I won't like it that much, but I'll feel like there's something there, and I'll keep digging, and eventually I'll, I'll like it, like Halloween 2, right. Rob Zombie's Halloween oh, 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some other ones. Like The first time I watched Under the Silver Lake, I don't think I fully got it and it took me some research and reading some stuff and kind of thinking about yeah. it and then rewatching it and then being like wait a minute this is actually like maybe my favorite movie of the year that year or whatever so i think we take more of an approach of we understand why someone doesn't like something but that doesn't mean we think it's bad <laughs> yeah well there's some stuff that i think is bad but i don't know if there's one that i think it's bad but i still like it it's hard like anything you could think of mm. To throw in my face, as you look across my huge collection of movies, I, am, yeah. I would probably just say, yeah, I actually like that, though. Yeah. Or, sadly, I don't like that, because <laughs> some of my Blu-rays, I probably would be like, yeah, I don't really like that. Oh, movie. yeah. Well, I definitely have those, too. I don't know. It's a tough question because of how I perceive things, <laughs> yeah. but there's tons of that movies. That would be that a are... funnier question. Yeah. What what movies have you bought and spent money on that you don't like? More than once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is way too many. Yeah. I guess I'll buy this again. Yeah. It's in 4K now. Sometimes I'll buy something just because it's new, even though I don't like it. Like, I, I, know, I bought I that first Suicide Squad movie. Remember that? Just yeah. Because I wanted to buy a new movie. I do. And I've never watched it since I bought the Blu ray. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. To answer your question, let's get on to John's second question. I, I feel like we got some good material out of that, though. <laughs> so, yes, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, House of Wax, the remake. Halloween 3, Wish Upon a Star, yeah, Hot Dog the Movie, <laughs> Shorty Babes in the Slimeball oh, Ball I know. When you, now, after you sent me that text earlier, I really want to have a Hot Dog the Movie screening night again. It is hilarious. Actually, Shorty Babes in the Slimeball Ball Rama is one that I know is bad. Okay. When that stupid that was fucking unclear to me. starts yeah. talking. 
I do like it though, yeah. so I guess that fits. Yeah. I guess there's like a certain level of trashy it's hard. movies. Yeah, I guess that it's I like. I feel like it's weird with the B movie yeah, stuff. Yeah, you kind of feel like, like of everybody this knows. Is bad. Yeah, it's not like a surprise. Blood Harvest. <laughs> Blood which Harvest. We also did on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Question two: If you could only watch one movie as many times as you want for the rest of your lives, what would it be? For me, it would be Mulholland Drive. Although American Beauty is a close second. Thanks and keep up the good work, Johnny. Um, Oof, this is a tough question. Mulholland Drive is actually not a bad answer, just because there's so much to unpack. To, to unpack, although I think because it's so surreal, that might get old at a certain point. American Beauty, I also really like, although that's you know not very popular these days. <laughs> if you yeah. want our whole thoughts on that, go listen to our three-hour episode where we complain about how people talk about it now. My answer would probably be sort of weird. It's not like considered one of the great movies, but it's the one that I always like kind of want to put on, which is Inherent Vice. Yeah. I just always kind of feel like watching it over these past few years. I don't know what it is. Maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in recent memory, too, of movies that I've watched a lot. I don't really have a good answer for this, unfortunately. Probably Clue. Yeah. I could wind it back and be like, D2. You know? <laughs> Stuff from my life that I watched like every night for like years, dazed and confused at one point. Yeah. I just really like Clue. Yeah, I think Clue's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that's not an ideal choice for us to do on the podcast, I feel like we're going to have to try it one time and see how it goes. Yeah. All right, John, thank you for the email. As I said, I saw we have other emails. We will get to them in the coming weeks. So now it's time to do a new segment of the show. I don't know that we're going to do this all the time. I would say every now and then. But it felt like a good time to break it out just because of the situation with Sling Blade not being available on streaming. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. Physical media spotlight time. Oh, this yeah. week, I decided yeah. to pick two items that I already own to talk about, and then two pre-orders coming up that I'm excited about. I'll try to do a little bit of mix of both things. I do get several deliveries a week, usually. Yes. A lot of the stuff might be a little too random. I don't know if people want to hear about my Twin Peaks VHS collection or uh, I do. Wish Upon a Star on yeah. VHS, but I was going to focus mostly on Blu-rays and 4Ks. And you could probably do one of those YouTube channels where you like open your packages and it would get way more views I know. than this show gets downloads. And then like open the packaging of yeah, yeah. and like go through the special features. <laughs> people love that kind of shit. So yeah, the first one is a, is a giant... 4K special limited edition of Picnic at Hanging Rock from Second Sight, which is a UK company. But 4K discs are region-free, so you don't even need a region-free player for this. Like, although I guess the Blu-ray discs are probably region B that come with it. It's a massive box. Second Sight has done a couple of really cool collector's editions. I have the Dawn of the Dead. Matt and I both have Drive. That's right. They do cool shit. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre one just came out, which is cool. They did one for Martin, the George Romero movie that really wasn't even in print in the U.S. So they do like these cool things. The Picnic and Hanging Rock one is awesome. I I know. It looks super cool. I thought that this would be a great 4K candidate for a while. Of course, Criterion... Slept on it. Just dragging as their they feet always with do. their fucking 4Ks. Yeah. Didn't do it. I do love that movie, too. Yeah. 
This one is technically still available in the limited edition from the store that I shop at, DiabolicDVD.com. So it is still like that. out there. Yeah. But you can also get the standard edition too, which is just the regular case and everything. It doesn't have this whole situation. But yeah, I love this film. We did it very early on the show, which we probably weren't really equipped for yet, but we had to break yeah, into yeah. all kinds of different territory. It's a mid-70s thing i don't know if for people who haven't seen it i would say that it's kind of got a little bit of like a lynchian vibe definitely not, not as I, surreal i think we though. talked Just about sort that of like when we did it yeah. unexplained it's the mystery yeah it kind of just goes down that path that the mystery is really what makes it great not the resolution a lot of times the adjectives that people use to describe movies are annoying but yeah i would say picnic and hanging rock definitely is dreamy totally it's kind of so. a hazy, dreamy yeah, yeah. world. I, I really like it. It's an Australian movie, if you haven't seen it, directed by Peter Weir. Check it out. Yep. The second one is a Best Buy exclusive steelbook for the 4K release of The Man Who Fell to Earth, starring David Bowie. Another mid-70s situation here. This is directed by Nicholas Rogue, who directed Don't Look Now and other things. Sort of a weird director. Teresa Russell, yeah. but... This movie is interesting. It's It captures Bowie at that Aladdin Sane moving into low and that German techno-y mm-hmm. kind of right. shit that he would get into. This is not a movie that you're going to be compelled to watch all the time. Okay. <laughs> it's very... I've still never seen it, so... Slow at times. It's strange, but it's also influential for a lot of other material. Yeah. Not necessarily. We definitely alien, referenced it. Yeah. Other things of that nature. Wasn't David and Prometheus I thought was Yeah, citing that was this? one yeah. of the inspirations for David and Prometheus for sure. Yeah. So this is pretty new. I think you can still pick this up at Best Buy or BestBuy.com. I don't think it's completely out of print yet. They did release a Blu-ray on Criterion years ago. That's like way out of print. There's some other decent Blu-ray releases but it's it's brand new to 4k did you have anything you wanted to jump into before i did the pre-orders sure i'll do mine real quick because i think i should give an update on my situation for those of you that have been following along (laughs) i had 10 movies for the year due to a, a little handshake agreement that i made we made it into the third month of the year and i was at nine so i recently did a little bit of a renegotiation and in a month no it's 15 for the year now I'm a crazy, like, see something on Instagram and then all of a sudden feel like I need to buy it. Well, yeah, me too. This Kino Lorber heat that they did with Burt Reynolds in it, I just bought this. Why? <laughs> That's one of the 15? Well, now that it's 15, I feel like I've got some no, room to don't. play with. No, you I'll make a list. <laughs> all right, make a list. Because I was loving the fact that there's a line in it that he says, I need fuck you money. Yeah, that's it. That's my physical media recommendation, (laughs) even though I've never seen it, and I'm sure it stinks. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know among the Burt Reynolds fans if Heat is listed as like one of the better ones. That's the type of shit I'm interested in, though. Bad movies. (laughs) But listen, you have no idea how bad I want to get that picnic at Hanging Rock. Lindsay's a pretty good sport. I I just don't think she's here for me rebuying the same movies, different versions of the same movies. (laughs) Like, if I already own it. My two pre-orders that I wanted to point out, by the way, two things I've already pre-ordered. Yeah. They just announced from Studio Canal, so another import 
it's not really an American release, but you can pick it up at certain outlets, is this huge five-disc 4K set for The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah, I saw that. A movie that I've already spent an insane amount of money on a Blu-ray set from Imprint, which is an Australian label. I'm pretty sure the copy I own is from you. Now I'm going to buy this giant fucking 4K box that has five discs in it. Double down on the re. Purchases. The cover art is so cool. Yeah, I and saw I can't it. pass it up a good awesome. box. Right. The other one though is not a box, and it is a movie that everyone should own or at least watch. It's a Kino Lorber 4K, and Ooh. Criterion's already done this movie, but of course they didn't do the 4K. Of course. Night of the Hunter, starring Robert Mitchum. Oh yeah, okay. Is coming May 30th on 4k if you are a physical media collector and you're interested in movies you haven't seen that might have to be one for me i don't have the criterion so it's on the table yeah it's a good movie it's the one and only film directed by i believe his name is charles lawton let me see if i got that right he directed one movie it's a banger shelly winters is in it by the way charles lawton yeah i was right Shelley Winters was in it, who was just in Heavy, which we just did on the podcast. The movie's from 1955. It's only an hour and a half. It's really good. A religious fanatic marries a gullible widow whose young children are reluctant to tell him where their real daddy hid the $10,000 he'd stolen in a robbery. And it takes place during the Great Depression. And of course, Robert Mitchum plays this guy, and he turns out to be sort of a a villain sure and yeah it's, it's good it's All a right. good movie i might be uh on for that one and in my personal opinion this is just me and i know not everyone's gonna agree with me especially people with younger eyes but i don't think the leap from blu-ray to 4k is that huge unless one of the following is true it's an old black and white movie that was shot well yeah yeah so something like citizen kane or something to that effect, is going to jump out and be really good on 4K. Yep. Or it's really colorful. It's just a really colorful movie with a lot of colors. That really helps. Yep. Or it was just shot on film in a way that looks really good. Like, I actually think that Paul Thomas Anderson's movies would look really good in 4K, even though he's not a big 4K guy himself. But other people... I actually don't think it's that much of a difference, and sometimes it almost even hurts the movie in a Agreed. way. Because it kind of makes it look cheaper. Yeah. Because it really wasn't made to look like that or whatever. But what I think you we know. talked about it, but yeah, I just the, the Pulp Fiction one. Yeah. I switched back to the Blu-ray when I was watching it, and I, I liked the Blu-ray better. Yeah, I think there's certain indie movies that were made on smaller budgets that were able to convince you that they were bigger than they were, like a Pulp Fiction. And then the 4K kind of highlights how low budget it actually was it makes yeah. it go back to feeling very small and indie again that's just my personal take i know yeah, not yeah. everyone's gonna think that same way i like it and i'll rebuy anything you know that oh but totally. i'm just saying that old black and white movies very colorful movies and movies that were shot on film tend to jump out a little bit more than you know the difference between fucking avengers Endgame on Blu-ray and 4K. I it's how could not going to be, be that different. Yeah. It's just all computer graphics. It's not a big difference. Anyway, if you're interested in physical media, as you should be, I would recommend any of those things. I think we'll try to tighten that segment up and make it a little shorter in the future. I don't. I know that people are probably tuning this out in droves. Well, I don't whatever. know if physical media is really that huge, but it should be. We'll keep it a little more contained next time we do it. Thanks to Mike for the listener request. 
We have our first revisited of the year coming up next, and then we will jump back into two more listener requests, which we've already mentioned who those were at the beginning. Please follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Wherever you find us, please tell your friends, spread the word, tweet about us, tweet at us, slide into the DMs, send us emails, greatestpod at gmail.com, about any topic. We want to read them for sure. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. And if you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know in any of the usual ways, and we will send that out to you. ASAP. Anything else, Matt? No, I think this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got through it. All right, then. Yeah. <laughs> Reckon. <laughs> All right, folks. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. about Jesus Christ becoming a carpenter was he was actually named after the two words you're most likely to shout after hitting your thumb with a hammer.